0: Welcome to the Onyx Podcast. I'm this week's host, Eddie Webb, and with me are Dixie Cochran. Hello.
1: And Matthew Dawkins. I love your dramatic intake of breath at the beginning of your episodes, Eddie.
2: Which which, if he was gonna cut that, now, you, right now, now you've made, it made it him enhance. leave it in.
1: I want you to amplify the dramatic intake of breath at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> yes. No,
2: no, no, that's a
1: terrible ooh, sound. Ooh, welcome. <laughs> Oh, fellow
0: travelers! No, <clears throat> no, we're not here to talk about breathing today. Um, although I'm a big fan of it, I think everyone should do it. You know,
1: um, in moderation. But... <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to breathe too much. No, want to hurt yourself. I did it by never inhaled. Uh, I've got some. <laughs> I've got some exciting news.
0: Oh, oh. oh.
1: And it's just in! Uh, my Vampire the Masquerade uh, 5th Edition version 2 is coming along excellently. So you, you know of the Grumble Dukes, of course. Oh, <laughs> right. Uh, so I've been spending a little bit of too much time thinking about this now. Oh no! I I I had to come up with thirteen clans, of course, because the fans would be disappointed if there weren't thirteen in V five. Am I right? And we and we have to uh, we have to think about the different clans that sort of symbolise different things in vampire culture. And I'm not very good at that, so instead I've just gone what with with what amused me, and (laughs) as the fourteenth clan. Principally, of course, we have the Grumble Dukes because fourteenth uh, being you know further to Ravnos, and we did then jump around a little with the seventeenth plan clan being Clan vagarante. They're you know sort of exotic vagrants. They're still homeless, uh, but they have an air of panache and joie de vivre about them. They're the kind of they're, they're hobos that make being a hobo romantic and exciting. They they jump on trains and live in boxcars, that sort of thing. It's quite exciting. That sounds
2: incredibly problematic.
1: Yeah, uh, we have Clan (laughs) Von Vandervon, of course. Clan Von Vandervon being the ancient enemies of the Glumble Dukes. And they're the 21st clan. Now, we also have the V20 Dark Ages Aramains. And they are called the V20 Dark Ages Aramains (laughs) even in-game. That's how they would announce (laughs) themselves in court just to clarify because they're so distinct from the remains that aren't in V20 Dark Ages and the true Bruja, the 26th clan now uh, just... what the fuck is happening right now <laughs> but we we have a few additions one has migrated retroactively from Requiem first edition into Masquerade <laughs> v5.2 and I think it I think they're in there because of the machinations of the true brehar because you know how they can meddle with time that old vampire trope uh, we have we have clan Oberlock so the Oberlocks were a bloodline in bloodlines the hidden Uh, for Vampire the Requiem and the only reason they came up was because in one of the discords of which I am a member someone said it wasn't there a clan that got increasingly physically decrepit and old as they aged and I said yeah that was the Oberlocks in Vampire the Requiem so I thought aha as I don't think they've made the migration to second edition Requiem let's just stick them in the second edition of V5. And so we now have the Obolocks, pronounced by their enemies as old bollocks, when we see them. <laughs> because they realise th- uh, th- this does all tie in, of course, to the plot of this episode being setting mashups. So see, I am going somewhere with like this. That's, just, that's a disturbing part, is that this actually is valid to some degree. Oh, oh, bollocks. Uh, the... <laughs> And I bet the person who wrote them didn't think of that. Uh, And sorry, Rose, if that was you. Um, (laughs) we... (laughs) Um, We also have the Mariner Hakata... Because everyone loved the Mariner Gangrel in Masquerade. I can't think of anyone who hasn't at some point in their life played a Mariner Gangrel. I mean, think of the opportunities. I mean, I haven't. So (laughs) Exactly. So Mariner Hecata. Mariner Hecata means you get essentially pirate zombies. Pirate vampire zombies. So it's Pirates of the Caribbean but edgy. And we we like edge. (laughs) Uh, For V5... Point two, the book's corners are so sharp that you could probably cut yourself on them. So it is a deliberately edgy book.
2: The Onyx Pathcast does not endorse any kind of self-harm.
1: No, no, of (laughs) course. I'm not saying you would do it intentionally. I'm saying, ow, it's actually quite uh, dangerous to (laughs) handle this book. Uh, Where Mage 20 was an effective bludgeoning weapon handled by any pre-third edition clerics. Um, this is more of a blade for thieves I would say, second edition thieves assassins, but my favourite clan and this is the final one oh no no, that isn't the final one we've got a space Zimisi specifically <laughs> space Zimisi uh, that largely ended up in this list because in our previous take of this episode we spoke a little I think about um, Zimisi in space or vampires in space. We definitely talked yeah, about it that during is. the
2: vampire setting thing, too.
1: Yeah. Uh, and this allows them to have the uh, Dirty Secrets of the Black Hand vicissitude virus yes. as canon. Right. But no, my favourite clan is Clan XYZ. Uh, that's how the proles call them, the plebs. They call them Clan XYZ because that's how it's spelt. Do they call them XYZ in America or do we still call them XYZ? I think you'd still call them x y z if you're an American pleb, yes, okay, but okay. the way they prefer to be called and the way we should be calling them, and even I struggle with this, you pronounce it sh sh zim, so if you can go sh zim as as <laughs> one flowing noise as zim that's that's clan shsh zim and they're the, they're the 20th clan they slot between the Mariner Hecarter at 19th and the Van, Von Vandervons at 21st <laughs> So we are still looking for a 22nd 23rd, 24th and 25th clan as I say the 26th of the true brouhaha there's a reason they're at the bottom of the list <laughs> You know, I hear the Salubri are looking for a place <laughs> <laughs> no they were wiped out even in this version uh, <laughs> And that's my monologue. I feel like as compare now, I should uh, introduce the actual acts being Eddie and Dixie. I
2: I feel like we could just do this for the next 45 minutes if you just want to keep talking about your plans for V5.2 and me and Eddie can comment on them. This has been incredibly entertaining and I don't have to do any work. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: What I think of this as is I'm investing in my future. (laughs) <laughs> because we we get paid by the book uh, as a general rule or or uh, as, as per our Onyx Path contracts. Some of us are, when we're in-house, we get paid on a monthly basis for handling a certain amount of work. It's a very nice arrangement. It benefits the three of us uh, immensely uh, more than having to constantly dive around trying to find freelance contracts. But one thing it doesn't do is provide me with a pension. And I'm not blaming you for this, Rich. I know you're listening. Uh, but what these 13 clans will do is provide me with retirement uh, money, I think. I'm going to make a million from Storyteller's Vault sales when I do Clan Grumble Duke through to. I may have to rename the True Brew <laughs> it might <be> copyright infringement. <laughs> I like how your elaborate plan
0: has fallen apart in the process of revealing your elaborate plan. Call him the Trujah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I think uh, the thing is I think that's been in the fan vocab for so long now that uh we, we could probably not maybe the brew true <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's distinct.
2: There's a coffee shop uh <laughs> chain here near me called bruhaha. You could just call them that, like with the exclamation point as part of Canon.
1: And you know I love exclamation points in titles. Yeah,
2: so like B R E W H A H A exclamation point.
1: I think to make them more distinct we'll add an- another couple of ha So they'll be brew ha ha ha.
2: Brew ha
1: Yes. Yes. They one of their one of their disciplines, this is collaboration, Dixie. Uh, <laughs> one of their disciplines is they can incite hysteria in their yeah, yeah. victims. So they're the brew ha
2: They're they're the brew insert Mark Hamill Joker laugh. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Uh, now, uh, so many people in fan groups ask, which clan would the Joker be in?
2: Obviously the ha
1: <laughs>
2: Yeah, but now we know.
1: Now we know, yeah, they're in the Bruhihi. <laughs> 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 they're a bloodline. Uh,
0: uh, as much as I don't want to encourage this, um, uh, uh, have I told either of you the story about my very first phone call while working at White Wolf? No. No, I don't okay. think so. Because uh, this, relates, this relates to space to me see in a way that will become increasingly <laughs> clear. Um, so uh, I, I when I first worked White Wolf, um, I actually got my own separate office. before um, days of open office plans. um, And uh, I got a desk and I was like, hey, can I have a phone? Because everyone else has a phone. Like, I have a phone. And I'm like, uh, do you really need a phone? And I'm like, I might need a phone. I don't know. This was 2007. So like, you know, a phone might be necessary. Um so after a couple of weeks they find a phone, They're like, yeah, here you go, plug it in, get your a number. Oh, cool, great. Within like an hour, the front desk forwards me a phone call. It's like, hey, if someone on the line has some questions about MC Ascension, you're the only developer around who can answer <laughs> Spoiler <laughs> alert, this is not true. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I guess if I'm the developer on call, I didn't realize we did, like, you know, emergency storyteller <laughs> consultations. I've yes, never once sure. in my
2: history as a fan of White Wolf thought about calling your office in Stone Mountain, Georgia, <laughs> to ask a question. <laughs> that is so
0: weird to me. So, So it gets better. Um, because the guy gets on the phone, um, and he's very polite. He's a very you know, nice gentleman, great conversation. Um, but his concern was that, you know, he's playing a, a mage game, and they had they did a crossover game. Um, they had vampires and werewolves on there. And say, so, okay, cool. And say, so, but they're also on a spaceship. And so he needed me to answer things like, well, if mages leave Telerian space, can they still cast spheres? And do vampires react to stars the same way they do sunlight? And I was like, okay, well, you know what? That sounds like a really cool game, but uh, uh, I I can't give you an official answer on that. So I mean, whatever you think (laughs) is best is probably good. He's like, well, it's cool, but my fans really need an official White Wolf answer. Or my my players need White Wolf to answer these Um. questions. Because I get the impression that the conversation had gotten so heated (laughs) that only (laughs) someone with authority could actually resolve them. (laughs) Now, I would like to say that I was the kind of developer who carefully and subtly encouraged this person to try to come up with their own solutions that they can implement the table. But in fact, I made a bunch of garbage to hung up.
2: So, So. if you are out there listening, person who called Eddie in 2007, I'm deeply sorry. Mage powers in space.
0: I'm so sorry. um,
2: Mage in space. Uh, (laughs) I would love to know who that is because I feel like i feel like if that person was that big of a fan then they might still be like like jason place was that you one of my friends who <laughs> talks about mage all the time like who was that i need to know
1: it was me eddie it was me all along eddie and you no. ruined you ruined my mage the assumption
0: <laughs> unless unless you do an amazing southern accent which you do not um, was if i wasn't not from jason
2: then either damn it who was that someone tell me mm.
0: Um, But it does kind of lead to the topic um, of the day, is that um, a different fan who was not asking about Mages in Space um, did contact us on Twitter a while back um, and and thought what our thoughts were for um, setting mashups, um, uh, which has actually been a theme so far, we've known inadvertently, um, is uh, taking bits of one game and putting them into another game. So crossovers, mashups, however you want to approach that. and when we first start talking about this, it's like, actually, it turns out we've done, there's been a, quite a number of them throughout the years that have existed in official and quasi-official ways. Um, uh, uh, the first ones that I thought of were uh, the, the, the various translation guides we did between the World of Darkness and Chronicle of Darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for like example, the Vampire translation guide, originally it was supposed to be um, more of a, here's how you convert your character from one system to another. Uh, But as we started digging in, there were enough changes between the games uh, that um, it it, it required a lot more work than just these dots move over here. It's okay. But there's certain concepts we had to deconstruct and reconstruct. And in the process of developing that, I I came to the realization that um, there's actually a lot of fun we can have with taking concepts and reintegrating them into the other game. Um, So... For example, one of them was um, what if uh, the Alenka at Sanctum were a faction of the Sabbat, because there's a lot of tonal similarities there. Um, one of my favorites, though, was the other direction, which was turning the Tremere into a requiem uh, group. So rather than being a clan, you know, they were actually a, a faction that people could join and to learn just to learn thaumaturgy. Mm. Um, so um, and, and I know one of. Dixie's very first project was the demon conversion guide. It
2: was my very first project. It Was the demon translation guide? Yeah.
0: Demon so there are demon errors guy. on that. Sorry, it was my first project. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, you actually corrected me just now, so obviously you you are still teacher strong.
1: You got the title right at least. Yeah, right. Uh, exactly. Dixie, that is not you, Eddie. No, no, I, I screwed it up. Uh, I vaguely remember in the vampire translation guide and. Uh, I may be incorrect, but it always seemed to make sense to me. The idea of the followers of Set being a uh, covenant rather than a clan. Right. Uh, in Requiem, uh, because, of course, it makes little sense, or at least it never made sense uh it was never put across in a way that made sense to me that being embraced into the setites would automatically make one believe in sets and become a faithful adherent of an ancient egyptian faith uh, because the setting isn't established that mortals these days all believe in ancient egyptian deities it's not sion so no. the that sort of conceit of a clan of set worshippers it, it didn't make a huge amount of sense to me as a Masquerade fan, but as soon as I read it in the translation guide, oh, uh, yeah, of course, you could just pitch them like a covenant in, in Requiem. Uh, mm-hmm. Made a hell of a lot more sense. And and in the end, led in a great way to what's presented in Cults of the Blood Gods. Uh, there's a bit of uh, promotion there for a game that's no longer on Kickstarter, but might be on back soon. Um, that the Church of Set is distinct from the Ministry being the rebranded clan name.
0: Right. And that's one thing that I I, I did find interesting. Um, uh, So to to, to reference something we talked about earlier, we did actually make an attempt at this recording uh, last week and and my audio disappeared. Um, So uh, uh, we are reconstructing some of this from memory, but the last time we did talk about this, Um, it is interesting that some of the stuff that was meant to be kind of, let's have fun with this eventually evolved into some stuff that actually inspired the well
2: yeah we're, wow. we're talking about you know mashing settings together and we started kind of being like wait that exists already like that was that that came out in 2009 or whatever you know <laughs> like mm-hmm. um i know that we started we talking about some cyberpunk and science fiction stuff for world of darkness for instance and then talked about how you know world of darkness mirrors for the for phase one chronicles or whatever and mirror's bleeding edge, and mm-hmm. mirrors infinite in the cub, and you know all of those exist already, so like if you want a hack mm-hmm. to you know put your Chronicles of Darkness game into a space opera or cyberpunk setting, those are out there
0: right and um uh, and some of them are actually quite good um, uh, and there also, there's also there 's even some outside company uh, 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 conversions like um, specifically the cyberpunk one you mentioned one of them was um a few, uh, world of future darkness which is specifically a crossover with Cyberpunk 2020 mm-hmm. um it was in Wolf well, magazine over three issues um and then we also did uh, a couple of of adventures that were specifically crossovers between werewolf the wild west and deadlands um uh so we've also had some interesting crossovers with with other game companies um and other little things like um a, a, a case for something like monica's mm-hmm. world of darkness um, that's more of a reimagining, but it was kind of what would World Darkness be like in the D20 system. Um, so, so there's there, there's a lot of yeah, like I said official, quasi official, unusual components that that have already existed. Um, so rather than doing that, you know, since uh, Matthew set the tone of of, of making
1: shit up, <laughs> um, <clears throat> oh well, well before we make more shit up. Uh, there's someone I uh, attend conventions with regularly, a guy by the name of Steve, who still swears by GURPS Werewolf the Apocalypse. And really? There's a, there's a few people on RPGNet I see occasionally seeing the praises of GURPS as a World of Darkness system. Uh, to my knowledge, Why? there was only ever the... F- <laughs> Why indeed? Because some people <laughs> like to build their characters like Lego bricks. That's why, uh, but I think it was only Vampire Well for Mage that had those right. versions. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't know that for a certainty, but it sounds like I'm right. And yes, there was also th- a Vampire uh, Players Companion too. Oh, okay. And, and indeed, did you ever see the How to Play Vampire: The Requiem for Dummies book when for Dummies books were a thing? Yeah, I Written remember that. Written by Jonathan Kelly. Yeah, I remember seeing that in a Waterstones, a major mm-hmm. high street retailer. Yeah, I think UK. I saw that at like Burns & Noble uh, back in the day. Yeah, I was confused <laughs> 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 to see it there. I thought, why is this there with all the sort of how-to program Java? How, this is how to work Python. Oh, and how to play Vampire the Requiem. Um, but a yeah, really good idea, you know, of getting the book into a different avenue. But yeah, anyway, um, GURPS is a system mashup, I guess, for World of Darkness that a lot of modern fans are probably unaware WOD ever ventured into. So um, uh, uh, a couple of quick stories about uh, the GURPS run. Um, uh,
0: uh, the the I, I understand, I, I don't know the details and so I don't think it's fair to talk about them. I understand the reason why we didn't make it more is because the relationship between White Wolf and Steve Jackson game just didn't work out from beyond that point. Um, but I do remember the book specifically because I had a group who would only play GURPS. And so if I want to play World of Darkness, I had to get those books to get them to play World of Darkness. Um, and so uh, whenever I am whenever I was playtesting stuff like when I allowed by testing, of play-testing, I had to make characters for like, say the World Darkness MMO, um I, I, I would have call my characters Bad Acid, because Bad Acid was one of the characters that had some fiction inside the GURPS version of Vampire the Masquerade so huh. stupid piece of very obscure trivia huh. Yeah, that's what I have to say about that
1: <laughs> yeah that, 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 that's all that serious, to be fair uh, um, I, I, can, I can provide you with some more stupid trivia sure masquerade requiem trivia and I think we, we mentioned it before in our interview with Rose Bailey but anyone who missed that interview which is a really good interview by the way yeah it's a good interview um, was about Maxwell from Chicago by Night Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Maxwell was the Prince of Chicago in, well, prior to first edition Chicago by Night, he was in the history section, and he appears in second edition Chicago by Night as the returning Bruhar who may want to take the Praxis now that Lodin's gone and due to various vagaries of book development and whatnot, uh, there was never another edition of Chicago by Night to establish who was made Prince, and so White Wolf made the decision of leaving it open, at least until I came along with my great big foot and stuck it in it with the (laughs) five Chicago by Night. Which is wonderful. Maxwell was a popular enough character that he became Prince of Chicago in Vampire the Requiem. Oh. and is even described in much the same way in terms of appearance, at the very least. And I think even the fact that he was a bear trapper in life, I think that was a um, similar mm. background point, uh, as he was in Masquerade's Chicago by Night. So he never quite achieved retaking praxis in Masquerade, but he damn well manages it come Requiem First Edition, and the uh, the excellent novels for requiem and they really are fantastic novels too yeah the Greg salty ones yeah mhm
0: no absolutely so um yeah like i said there's actually a uh a, a legacy of these kinds of, of mashups and there's also um one more that i think it's worth noting as we go into like our, some hypothetical ones um is there's also been some real world bleed between our games um th- our games touching on or referencing things in the real world, sometimes, uh, um, in a historical context, um, family the masquerade in particular, but most of the world darkness games and chronicles games do a lot of that. Um, but also specifically tying it to existing people. Um, I'm specifically thinking of, uh, Aberant's XWF, um, where there actually were a couple of real world wrestlers who we managed to work into the descriptions of the game. Um, Ric Flair being probably the most prominent one now. Um, so there's even also kind of like a, a, a real-world-slash-game mashups that have occurred in the past. Uh, but uh, have, if, if you guys had your druthers, if like you know, we had complete control of all of our licenses or even, um, you know, mashing up with other game companies or other properties um, or wanted to use our games to emulate other properties, what kinds of things would you guys do? Dixie, do you have any thoughts on
2: that? I'm thinking. You didn't like... Ask me this question beforehand so I could prep for it. And I'm Fair. just thinking.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> well, I mean, last time you talked about um, Kushiel's Dart.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I feel like I talk about that so much. Like, I feel like you could do Kushiel's start with a few different systems. Uh, most notably, probably, would be uh, Blue Rose. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, good, the cat's come over here, so it's about to get loud. Yay. Uh, yay, Hi, it's the loud cat. Hi, Apollo. <laughs> um... But but yeah, like I feel like I always talk about that when we talk about like dream projects or whatever. Um, it's like, I like cause she'll start, cause she'll start. I want to make a game on cause she'll start. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I was thinking, like while we were talking earlier about matching systems together and just how like weird that could be too, because mm-hmm. you know. Not not even to mention the resolution mechanics, because there's so many different ones for different systems. Mm-hmm. Um, but even just matching settings together, and I was trying to figure out what on my shelf would make the weirdest combination, and what would make the most sense.
0: I'm still working on well, that. I, why work on that? Um, uh, there's one that's not officially mashed together, but the two owners have fan fiction about this, as it were. Um, which is that Rose and I have both kind of jokingly decided that um, Pugmire and um, Kevlar's of Mars are in fact the same setting. Um, because the, the idea that uh, humanity went off into space, colonized Mars, and then something happened to them so that they lost all of their ability to contact Earth again. Uh, and so there's a, actually a weird, the way they're both isolated and the way they both look You know, Pogmire looks to everywhere, but like, you know, Mars looks to Earth, like, that's a weird place. Maybe, you know, we're not sure if it came from there or not. So there actually could be connectivity between them. And and Rose and I have both written kind of like on Facebook, kind of for our entertainment, short little fiction bits about how those two could possibly connect. Um, So that's one example of like these two, two different mechanics, two different systems designed for two different things, but theoretically, they could exist together. That's actually long been my favorite, like,
2: theory not 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 canon canon in my head kind of thing Mm -hmm. just because like you know part of the story of cavaliers of mars is that at some point humans did colonize it but now it's a dying world and no one really knows how the tech works anymore Mm -hmm. like they have they have lost that knowledge um through some catastrophe and then pugmire part of the conceit is you know the humans went away and left the dogs now they have this roughly medieval level of tech but there's still futuristic stuff around and no one really understands how it works Mm -hmm. um and it, it makes total sense they'd be in the same universe. Uh, I th- I think I talked before too about like one of my dream games that I'd like to run for like a, a long form campaign would be a Pugmire or Mal game, just something set in the realms of Pugmire, where at the end of it they find humans that are still alive. Oh yeah, and it's like a like maybe in like an an, an underground bunker type situation. Where mm-hmm. they've just been living down there, whether it's, like, a Fallout-style vault or what have you. But they, like, eventually find humans. And then that becomes a whole big point of confusion. And having the players switch from playing the dogs to playing the humans would be interesting,
0: too. Oh, that would be cool. So, using, yeah. like, straight-up D&D to reflect that part of it, or...
2: Yeah, probably D&D, or, you know, I mean, there 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 is a, a Fallout game. Oh, true, yeah. That I haven't really messed with yet, but... Uh, that that could also work for that or kind just of thing. rising I suppose. Yeah, yeah. There, there there, are lots of post-apocalyptic human games that I think I could uh, lean on. Or, yeah, lean on just straight D&D, but, you know, add in some futuristic stuff. There's enough homebrew out there that it would be really easy to do. There's, oh, a, yeah.
1: there's a gaming group uh, near where I live, and I've told the two of you about this before, of course, but to the listeners, this will be new, uh, that have kind of merged Red Dwarf with Pugmire, uh, not with having... The uh, not having a, a human, a cat, an android, and a hologram ar- <laughs> arrive in the kingdom of Pugma, although that would be fun. Uh, That would be great. Having uh, essentially the kingdom of Pugmire being so vast, or the world, the realms being so vast, I guess, Mm -hmm. vast, uh, and there being all these isolated outposts where lore is you're not uniform across, and the Code of Man isn't necessarily uniform across the entire world. Uh, A party of adventurers who's been playing Pugmire since pretty much its release Mm. uh, near me have got this plot where there's a cryo chamber Uh, in one of these outpost towns and there's a sort of civilization this town of dogs that half of them are worshipping the pod because they believe it it is still frozen the power power behind it is still generating so whatever is in there is still theoretically in stasis and Mm -hmm. so they're worshipping it because they feel it's some kind of idol and if they try and defrost it they don't know how to defrost it and so they don't know whether the thing inside it would survive so they are convinced that this is the last remnant of humankind in there and there's another group, the other half of their town desperately wants to open it up so they can greet their idols so they can give whoever it is a chance at life and benefit from their wisdom and this entire thing comes from an episode of Red Dwarf where the crew find a cryostasis pod I think floating through space or on an abandoned uh, space station and the crew believe it's going to be some incredibly good-looking uh, scientist, I think. They they find mm-hmm. the personnel records of uh, who was working on the station. They're convinced that it's going to be this lady. And it turns out to be the prisoner who was sentenced to an eternity drifting in deep space. And uh, <laughs> who, who is in fact a gelf or some kind of cyborg uh, who is driven to destroy everyone on the Red Dwarf. Um, but... Oops. Yeah, so I look forward to seeing how well the Pugma game goes when they decide to defrost <laughs> The Last uh, Survivor of Humankind. Uh, but it's one of those wonderful things where you can certainly mash up not necessarily the heavy beats of a setting, but using plots from TV shows, books, movies, that aren't necessarily obvious, uh, obviously Ooh. linked. They don't have a definite um, bond with each other, but there's no reason why you can't use something from Red Dwarf or Battlestar Galactica even or something like that in a game of Pugmire or They Came From Beneath the Sea or Dystopia Rising. I think you can mash up in subtle ways as well as the more overt ones.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like um, I, I, I remember Rose telling me one time that um, as she went to a uh, vampire... the. Requiem LARP, I think it was, of well, the vampire LARPs. I don't remember which one it was specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but they they all come with pre-generated characters, and so uh, her, her and her friends went and they all got their set of characters, and they were all linked characters, so basically you could show up and say, hey, we have six people. Cool, here's a six-person coder you can play. Um, and so they were they played through the first, it was a three-day LARP, they played through the first day, um, and then they started saying, wait a minute, some of this stuff seems familiar. And so after the game, they apparently sat down and looked through, and it's like, this is the Justice League. Oh, Justice League. There we go. I'm yeah. like,
2: there's really sort of like six person groups that like I can see you doing that off of.
0: Right. And so apparently um, they went into the dealer's room the next day and bought shirts of all the characters they were supposed to be <laughs> <laughs> and wore that for the next two LARPs. Um, and, and so, and, and having been the person who has to write hundred pre-generated characters. Certainly, there is a bit of like, okay, this is all the epicons from season one or whatever, you know, personality-wise.
2: Well, I mean, to, to to take mashup down to a very like small level, a lot of times when I am making a character, I just mash together two or three characters I like.
0: Oh, sure, yeah, you know,
2: like that's that's what I think a lot of people do when they're creating a character, even if you are doing it kind of unintentionally. Mm. It's really common to be like, oh, I like this character trait from this character in this TV show, you know. I like this character trait from this
0: person on this thing, and just kind of like throwing them together. I've certainly uh, uh, have made and also talked to people who basically say, "Well, this character is kind of like um, uh, 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 Idris Elba plus um, Superman or whatever." You know, um, it's, it's like they'll take an actor or a character and kind of say it's this plus this minus this uh, um, with a couple changes. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, certainly that that uh, happens, and it's a great way to. Get to a character, particularly for like say a, a convention game or a one shot where it's like, well, I'll just kind of blend these two things together and uh, it gives you a starting point. And then for longer games, maybe you do that, but over time the characters develop its own distinctive personality and yes. um ideas and say, Cool, but you keep a starting point of here's some stuff kind of thrown together to see what happens. I mean, my um one of my favorite D characters was set in a Renaissance Italy style setting, and it was straight up Ezio from Assassin's Creed. Thanks. Nice. Um, but over time, he became his own character, um, added a lot more kind of Jeeves and Wooster into him and some other bits, and then eventually became his own thing outside of his influences. Um, but no, I mean, he, he started off as, I don't just, just, want to jump out of buildings and dive into haystacks. That would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: I, I, I often start my characters off from that. Um, and, and sometimes you get a character assigned to you at a LARP, as you were saying, that you're like, wait mm-hmm. a minute. I played a character at the Scion alert we did in Midwinter, uh, not this past year, but the year before, that mm-hmm. I, after I read the, you know, paragraph of description, I was like, so it's Jessica Jones. Because mm-hmm. she was like, you know, so I was like, oh, she's a, you know, private investigator and she's really cynical and she doesn't trust anybody. And I'm like, so it's Jessica Jones is the character <laughs> yeah. you've given me. You know, she's a Scion of Anubis, but she was chosen. I'm like, all right, I can do this. Or Anpu in the, in the game. But mm-hmm. yeah, I was like, I was like, yeah, I can I can do this and so when i costumed her i was like so i'm just gonna dress like jessica jones (laughs) because that Mm -hmm. makes the most sense for the character because it's a it's a modern day game you know so i you know brought a a leather jacket and jeans and
0: combat boots and i was like this is easy as shit (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and, i mean because you're not playing the exact character right um, you, you put your own stuff in there and so pretty quickly it becomes its own thing but it's it's one of the things that's fun, I think, about mashups sometimes is finding the antecedents underneath, you know? And mm-hmm. being like, oh, okay. Like you said, like, oh, I I, I, I get your character, Jessica Jones. Or, oh, hey, this is the Justice League. Um, you know, that can be fun, as long as it's not breaking the game that's been cobbled together with that.
2: Well, yeah, like, I didn't, you know, play her as if she had super strength or whatever. Right. Like, <laughs> that would have been weird. I did drink whiskey, though. Well, there- <laughs> Like actual whiskey, or <laughs> yeah, it was the bars were open. It was a midwinter. <laughs> Fair
0: enough. I went and got a drink. <laughs> Sweet.
1: Um, so Matthew, have you had the ideas you've done or would like to do to throw things in together? I'm intending on uh, running a one shot soon where I mix up uh Dystopia Rising Evolution and They Came from Beneath the Sea, uh, Yay! which is a lot easier for me now. And now that DRE has uh, gone out to backers. Uh, And so that means more people have the book, and that's always Mm -hmm. good. I've got the book, I
2: got it last week. Mm -hmm. Oh, you did? Yeah. Sweet.
1: And uh, they came from Beneath the Sea's PDF, has gone out to backers, and so that's lovely too. Uh, I can essentially see how both uh, iterations of the story path system gel together because dystopia rising is probably the game that we have worked on as a company one of the games that i've had the least i guess uh, contact with sure. and i am a big fan of of zombies i'm a big fan of zombie apocalypse movies my first big horror crazes uh, that i got into were the George A. Romero movies. Uh, I remember recording Dawn of the Dead off the television uh, and just watching it and watching it and watching it, and little did I know that it was one of the cuts that actually removed a lot of the uh, worst gore from it. Um, hmm. But, yeah, and since then I've probably seen about four different cuts of the damn thing, because it's one of these movies with a different producer, a different director, and a different studio that all have a different vision. But anyway... Um, the idea of doing a zombie apocalypse style game of They Came From Beneath the Sea uh, using Dystopia Rising's world uh, is quite appealing to me uh, because you can still have um, cinematics and quips and hell, quips definitely exist in in Night of the Living Dead you know, they're coming to get you Barbara that kind of thing yeah. <laughs> totally. and, and choke on them in Day of the Dead I could go on the Mad Max films, are a ton of them, yeah. But I think, in a way, it could be more fun to switch the cinematics around to the uh, director in zombie games because mm. you need almost global or environmental effects to represent what the zombies can do. So do things like bust through the walls. Uh, suddenly there's a horde on the horizon where there wasn't one before. How did you not hear them coming? Mm. Uh, and having things like an extra was infected but even though you thought you'd checked them uh, uh, and you can do things like that and you could certainly put that power in the player's hands but it's more of a cinematic opposition uh, i think when you've got a big horde of uh, undead barreling down towards you and it's more of a game of survival which is why i'm thinking of it as a one-shot but We'll see. I want to see what kind of mileage I can get out of the uh, DRE world compared with the uh, They Came From use of Story Path.
0: No, totally. That would be very cool. And I, I would see like if you wanted to flip the um, cinematics, um, basically the uh, story guide using cinematic would then put uh, rewrites into the pool for players. Mm. So it's, the situation's gotten so much worse, but then you have more ways of dealing with it.
1: Um, that would kind of reflect
0: that kind of structure of zombie movies where the characters get more competent
1: as things get more dangerous well yeah in theory they should shouldn't they and yet it seems in every zombie movie there's only ever one or two survivors so that's ideal that's how a, a game like that should end if you're aiming for the cinematic feel I think um Monty Cook Games does it, to go back to Monty, uh, with Numenera and his other cipher system games where you have the GM throwing in chips, or what they happen to be called in that game, mm-hmm. uh, to make things more complicated for the players at the time, but of course you will end up using them again to get more heroic successes in the future. So I think it could definitely work that way uh, if you will allow the GM to make things more difficult for you.
2: I think my favorite kind of zombie movies are the ones that end with the implication at least that no one survived. And so oh. running it running it like a game of dread could be really cool for a one-shot. Yeah, yeah.
1: definitely. Definitely.
2: Uh, just because, like, then it's just all story, plus everybody's going to die eventually. I've never run a zombie game in Dread, but that would be really fun. Like, uh, I'm sure lots of people have, I just haven't.
1: Yeah. I played a. This was back when New World of Darkness was a thing, so before we got to second edition. Uh, I was at a convention and played a game of just New World of Darkness, but it was zombie apocalypse, and mm. and it was a. The GM introduced, or storyteller, I should say, introduced a lovely, again, visual and aesthetic flavour by giving us all shell cases and those oh. were the number of bullets our characters had and it, we only had a very sort of scant few between us But just having the bullets in front of us, again, I go back to saying about having quip cards, cinematic cards, things like that. Having that visual prop really makes it come more alive. I always found the same thing with blood points in Requiem and Masquerade. If you have little red beads to remind you of how much blood you've got, and another pool of, let's say, blue beads for your willpower, it suddenly becomes a lot more pressing. But it also compels you to use them because uh-huh. they're there in front of you. They're not just on a page. Um, so, yeah, I remember going through about two characters. I ended up playing James Gandolfini in that game. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, because all the characters were just templates. Uh, we we had, like, the, the cheerleader, the principal, the actor, the, the soldier, and you could just colour them in however you liked. Uh-huh. And uh, the storyteller said... My my first character died. He tried to get away from some zombies on a ride on mower, and it wasn't fast enough. <laughs> and uh, and so I pulled a new character from the pile, and it was the actor. And the storyteller said, I'll be interested to see which actor you decide to play. I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, every other time I've ran this game, the player has just decided to play a real-life actor. Oh. <laughs> uh, oh. Or actress. And so I just thought, I'll play James Gandolfini, and so I was Tony <laughs> Soprano for the. Re- I'm sure Dixie would have loved it. I was, uh, t- <laughs> I was t- uh, Tony Soprano for the rest of the next three hours. So you
2: weren't even just playing James Gandolfini; you were playing James Gandolfini playing Tony Soprano during a zombie apocalypse.
1: Yeah, I right. think that's what his, where his mindset would have gone. I can't say I knew Tony, um, <laughs> James Gandolfini very well, but I think that in an apocalyptic situation, he would have channeled Tony. Uh, but that game ended in a rather optimistic note. I saved a bunch of school children and it ended up with James Gandolfini driving a yellow school bus full of kids through a roadblock and into the sunset and an uncertain future.
2: <laughs> Eddie, what actor would you have played?
1: Um
0: uh that's a good question actually um uh, probably um robert downey jr
2: yeah as as iron man <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> stumbling through kind of half drunk thinks he's on top of everything but really has no idea what he's doing <laughs> that's great um speaking of uh strange mashups though um uh, one of the ones that I actually did a long time, ago, it was only for one or two sessions, but it was it was entertaining during time, is I used um, Street Fighter to emulate the World of Darkness. Uh, because we uh, my friends and I noticed that the World of Darkness combat book was very similar to Street Fighter. Um, so I just used the Street Fighter system, but also the Street Fighter aesthetics and logic uh, to create what we were calling the World of Darkness the animated series. Um, so everyone had alliterative names like Bobby Bruja and uh, a, a Terry Toreador. Um, and we would go off and, and fight the Sabbats in every corner of the world, but it would always be, some, for some reason, one-on-one battles in extremely exotic locales because that's what you do when you're <laughs> playing Street Fighter. Um, and it was one of those things that, like, it was like kind of a haha joke, and then we ran it, and it's like this is actually weirdly kind of fun. It breaks down pretty quickly, so we just didn't do it very long, but the t- couple times we played, it was like, this is actually surprisingly a lot of fun. So it, 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 the, the, sometimes even though those the silly these things will never work together, could turn out to be really, really interesting and cool.
2: I'm just imagining what my character for that would be because obviously it'd probably be a It to be like right. Liz Liz Lysandra. right and uh, I, and then I, I like I can picture so perfectly like Street Fighter style graphics, but it's like a really pale lady in a long black dress just making shadow tentacles
0: pop up at her opponent, you know exactly exactly like See? it actually sounds kind of cool like it, I, doesn't I, it, it that, that kind of early 90s uh american infused anime style um it, it's like okay and, and the great and clans are so visual in a lot of ways that it's like you know you, you, if i say a hey, gang girl in street fighter you can usually pretty much picture what that character would probably look like you know yeah, if,
2: so, if, if anybody that listens wants to make me the like you know pixel art for that i would love to see it like oh, that, that would some, be so like... amazing <laughs> I, I'm, I'm over here doing the hand motion, and nobody can see it. But it, it was yes. a good hand motion. It wasn't <laughs> uh, quite like a Hadoken type thing. It was more like a both hands separately. But it was it was, it was, it was cool. Tiger shinnikles.
1: Right. Uh, yeah, I hate to draw a close to this episode. Right. Yeah, we do have to wrap up. Mm, uh, it's a
2: shorter episode because we talked too much beforehand.
1: Yes, and because we, I have a lot of meetings. I so- right. I'm sorry, listeners. Um, But we'll
0: make it up to you, I'm sure, at some point in the future. Um, One of the ways we'll make it up to you is that we are doing a live call-in show uh, next week. Um, So uh, if you want to actually talk to us while we're recording, um, that will happen uh, next Wednesday at uh, 5 p.m. EST. So if you download the Podbean app on your phone, um, when we go live, you can just go right into the episode, listen to the episode while we're recording it, and then there's a button you can push to you can call in and uh, we will accept up to two callers at a time because we have to. Have, there are four slots. There, are, two of them have to be for Matthew and Dixie. Um, so, uh, there's two other chances if you want to call in and talk to us. That could be a lot of fun. We have no idea what we're going to talk about. It'll be entertaining. Yeah, it'll just be us shooting the shit like we did last time.
1: We can work out how to uh, break the Grumble Duke disciplines down into five <laughs> dots apiece. <laughs> I mean. Some of them are going to be more difficult than others, uh, but we will we'll get to that uh, road when we get to it, I guess.
0: I'm, I'm beginning to feel like the Pathcast is just our, your unpaid labor for development consulting. <laughs>
1: uh, yes. Yes, it
0: is. Well, then, Matthew, if you wanted to ask people online how to break down the Grumble
1: Dukes and they want to come back to you with ideas,
0: how would they get in touch with you
1: they can get in touch with me on matthewdawkins.com i'm always happy to hear about your ideas for the grumble dukes and i can honestly say that i will steal all of them and make a lot of money from them uh, with no <laughs> regret whatsoever uh, and i will pay you an exposure <laughs> dixie uh, i
2: don't want to be paid an exposure um <laughs> You can find me at DixieCochran.com, Dixie Cyanide on most social media.
0: And I apologize for the constant cat meows in the background. Meow. Um, And, of course, you can find me at uh, pugstudy.com. From there, you can get access to all my social media accounts. You can find us at theonicspath.com. We have, uh, of course, uh, a blog. We have a lot of Facebook groups. Um, You can have Discord you can hang out at. So there's lots of places you can chat to us if you have ideas about The Grumble Dukes, future podcast episodes like this one, or just want to know more about what we're working on. So, as always, many worlds... One path